Move by Mamma Mia is the exercise app for anybody, anywhere. Yes, that could mean you too. The workouts have been designed to fit into your life so you can move when you can. The 15 minutes you can squeeze in before work. The 20 minutes you get to yourself while the baby naps. The half hour you can spare at lunch. There's a routine for you no matter what your day looks like. A reminder as well, this is included in your Mum Mia subscription. If you are a Mum Mia subscriber, you already have access to Move. Download the Move app and log in with your Mum Mia login. Head to move.mamamia.com.au and use code MOVE10 to get $10 off a yearly subscription. You're listening to a Mamma Mia podcast. Mamma Mia acknowledges the traditional owners of the lands we record this podcast on, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation, as well as the Wanarua and the Gamilaroi people. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander cultures. Just a heads up that today's episode of The Quickie deals with death and grief. If this is a trigger for you, take care listening to this one. We didn't know how long he was going to be sick for or how serious it was. Yeah, I remember him looking at me and said, you know, are you sure you're not going to regret getting married in a hospital? And I looked at him and I said, the only thing that I'll regret is not marrying you at all. We were admitted to hospital on the 9th of May and he passed away on the 9th of June. I knew I would never be okay and I knew that I was never going to be ready. I was as ready as I could be because I was able to to tell him that I was going to be okay and it's okay for him to let go because I will be okay. From Mamma Mia, I'm Claire Murphy. Welcome to The Quickie, getting you up to speed daily. The person you just heard is Siti. She was widowed when she was just 21. From there, she's had to restart, rebuild and continue on with a new life one she wasn't planning on doing without her husband. Today, we look at how you move forward and start dating again when you're widowed and how you can find happiness while still grieving your lost love. What do Terry Irwin, Carrie Bigmore and Courtney Love have in common? They all lost their husbands when they were very young. And while Carrie Bickmore has gone on to find love again, Terry Irwin and Courtney Love remained single many years after the loss of Steve Irwin and Kurt Cobain. Terry telling the Courier Mail last year that she's a very, very, very single woman and plans to stay that way. That Steve, who died after being pierced through the heart by a stingray barb back in 2006, was it for her. That she'd had a big love and it was enough to last a lifetime. Courtney Love has been quoted as saying Kurt Cobain, who took his life back in 1994, was her soulmate, and that she would kill him if he were alive now for leaving her back then. But for Carrie, it was a bit different. After suffering the immense loss of her husband Greg in 2010 from brain cancer, she would eventually grow closer to her The Project colleague Chris Walker, who she says has a deep compassion and understanding of her loss. They welcomed their first child together in 2015. For those of us who haven't gone through the grief of losing a significant other, it can be tough to know how to support that person or what pressure they may be under, including the feeling there's a right amount of time they should grieve before they can move on, or the judgement that might come from the perception that they've done so too quickly. For City, she married her high school sweetheart when she was just 21, knowing that their marriage may not last. 
We were already engaged and my partner got very sick very quickly. We didn't know how long he was going to be sick for or how serious it was, but we found out that he had a quite a large tumour on his left lung. Got admitted on the 9th of May in 2009 and two days later we found out the tumour was inoperable. We were already engaged and we kind of looked at each other and coincidentally my parents were in town and we just said, you know what, we don't know what's going to happen. We hope everything's going to turn out fine, but we're here now. Let's get married. We very quickly kind of called around and tried to get an imam in of a Muslim to kind of officiate our very rushed wedding. And we got married in one of the waiting rooms at the hospital. So it was very touching and it was very amazing I guess, two hours of our day to kind of break up all the different hospital situations we were going through. It was very hard to absorb because we genuinely had no idea how it was going to end up. One of the moments I think that I'll never forget is when we were discussing it and we were trying to figure out whether it was going to be doable. Yeah, I remember him looking at me and said, you know, are you sure you're not going to regret getting married in a hospital? And I looked at him and I said, the only thing that I'll regret is not marrying you at all. That was when we just decided, yep, let's do it. I feel like you lived that movie. Is it a walk to remember? Oh, my gosh. It is, honestly. You know, I didn't like him because he was the joker and he couldn't take anything seriously. And I and I was just like, you know, why why can't you just have a serious conversation and et cetera? And then, you know, and then suddenly we kind of hit it off all of a sudden and there it was. <laughs> yes, it was definitely that movie, really. I really connected to that movie. So obviously after this incredible day, you would have had to have come back to reality pretty quickly. What happened after that? It all kind of came back to reality the next day. We started chemo pretty quickly after that day. And that's when things got really, really hard and it it just became very real. We were admitted to hospital on the 9th of May and he passed away on the 9th of June. You know, I had my, my moments with him alone to really grasp what was going on and to talk to him, although he couldn't speak back, but just to kind of say everything I needed to say and feel the connections that I needed to know the day that he was going to go. It was the day and I knew it and I felt it and as much as I knew I would never be okay and I knew that I was never going to be ready. I was as ready as I could be because I was able to to tell him that I was going to be okay and it's okay for him to let go because I will be okay. Well, tell me about that length of time. When did you start to realise that maybe you were starting to look towards the future, that you were starting to come out of your grief and move into making plans for you again? I kind of went back to work after a few weeks off and I was in quite a, you know, an on role. So I was a facilitator. So it was very hard to be on when you're going through such grief. So, you know, I moved roles into something a bit more data focused. It was a couple of weeks I was back in. I just thought I need I need to not work. I need to just focus on myself and, you know, focus on my relationships with my family and my friends and have that surrounding me rather than pushing myself through work because I wasn't handling it, obviously handling it well. So ironically, within the year, I started to gain a really close connection to one of the friends that we were friends with. So he was part of the group. And that was when, you know, I was thinking about moving on and thinking about, okay, well, how do I feel about this guy? Am I ready to actually start a relationship? And, you know, would you consider this a classic relationship when we're both kind of going through this thing together? So is it just a friendship and all those type of feelings that I never thought that I would feel? Looking back on it now, because we were together for a significant amount of time, about five years before we split up, we were definitely what we needed for that time. 
we were both grieving. I would have considered him at the time, you know, one of my best friends and he knew my husband and he knew the grief and he knew what we went through. So I felt like that connection was so strong and I needed to keep that close. But eventually I hadn't healed myself and I didn't know what I wanted for my future yet or for who I was going to be without my husband, without what I consider my soulmate. I still to this day, even though now I'm with my current husband, I still consider him my soulmate. You know, we did split up the five years because I needed to figure out who I was. When you kind of went through that period after you've broken up and you've gone on that kind of journey to figure yourself out and then you meet this new man, is it a different experience from meeting the first guy after your husband passed? Is this a whole new experience? completely new experience so meeting Chris we knew it was that classic cliche we met and that was it it really was like that it wasn't a convenience thing it wasn't a support thing it was it just clicked we just couldn't deny that that's how we felt about each other and for me personally I knew who I was. I had gone through all the experiences and the grieving and the discovery and obviously years of counselling that when I met Chris, I was very comfortable with and confident with who I was and what I was looking for. So it was a very different experience. Obviously, Chris knows that you were married before and that your husband passed away. Does he ever feel like he has to compete? With that man? I mean, it must be difficult to have someone that you loved so strongly as a young woman who's been taken from you. It would be hard to fully let them go. I think that he would never openly admit it. I think purely because he'd want to protect my feelings because he knows how much my late husband means to me still and how much, you know, the gravity of the loss and the gravity of the love is still on me. We have a one and a half year old baby girl and it's still something that I carry, you know, this this idea and the love is still very much there. So Chris won't openly say it, but I do get this feeling sometimes when, you know, if something is mentioned or, you know, a connection to a birthday or at the anniversary of his death or something, and I say, no, I need a bit of time, and he'll very much support me. But I can't imagine that you wouldn't feel a little bit of a tinge, you know, when someone that you love and you have a life with still has so much love for someone else. He's so supportive and so understanding, and I think we've both kind of agreed that It's kind of two separate things. This love that I have will always exist, but it doesn't take away from what we have and the life that we have now. Marie has handled her widowed life very differently to City. Her husband suffered an aneurysm while staying in a hotel. She was only 45, but they'd already had some discussion about what would be expected of them if something happened to either of them. Rob was on a business trip away and he collapsed in a shower and died from a brain aneurysm. So it was very unexpected and definitely not in an age where you would expect it in the prime of his life, being super fit. So, yeah. What was that moment and how far after that had happened to you? Did it kind of occur to you that you were actually effectively single again? Interestingly enough, it might be quite shocking to some of the viewers, but interestingly enough, it's something that my older son pointed out the moment I told him that his dad had passed. That was really unexpected as a reaction, but obviously it was something that he thought about straight away. And I said, look, it's definitely not something that I'm thinking about right now. You know, right now I've got 
different things to deal with. But it was quite unexpected to have that as a reaction the moment I told him that his dad had passed away. I was handling my grief very, very differently to most people because when Rob and I had a few conversations around what would happen if something was to happen to him or I, and we both said, we want you to take the boys and have the happiest life ever. And of course, that was theory when we first talked about it. But when it actually happened, I knew that's what I had to do. I knew I wanted to focus on happiness. How can I create a happy life for the boys and I? I did get into another relationship about 17 months after Rob passed. And that was, for a lot of people, unexpected. And for a lot of people, they thought it was too early. Yet they hadn't walked my path. They had walked the path in my shoes and they didn't know where I was at with my healing journey and with my emotional state where I stood with Rob not being in our lives anymore. 17 months is a very long time when you live being a sole parent day by day versus to the outside world. It is a way shorter time frame. How did you speak to those people whose expectations you had, I guess, let down, who thought that maybe you should have grieved for longer? How do you explain to them that you're fine and where your mind is at? To be honest, I didn't because, quite frankly, it was none of their business. And the only person that I did talk to was actually my oldest brother-in-law because he and I had a big discussion about this, you know, what is too early, what is not too early. And them being Italian background, you are, and I'm putting this under quotation marks, supposed to grieve for about 10 years, not one year or not five years. It's like at least 10 years or maybe even never date again. But that's very old-fashioned Italian, if that makes sense. And and that's obviously two different, two very different mindsets that collided there. But I have to say I'm very lucky. I've got a very close relationship to Rob's family, but I understood that it came as quite of a shock to them. Now, I know you said already that your son had already kind of made the connection between the fact that his father had passed away and that you were now a single woman. Yeah. How did they react to another man being in your life? I have to say it was a little bit tricky. I was actually quite proud how open they were about it. I wasn't looking for a replacement dad, but I certainly do expect that when somebody comes into my life that they completely open their heart to my boys because I do have two sons and they're still young. You know, they're 12 and 14 now. So whoever lives with me will be part of their lives as well. And that is something if uh, that person can't be wholeheartedly with that, then that person can't be with us, if that makes sense. You know, they're coming into a family of three. They're not just dating a single woman. It's a very different situation. For some who lose a husband, wife or partner, it may be the last intimate relationship they ever have. Others may move on quickly. Some may take years to find themselves in a position to open their hearts once again. No way forward through grief and loss of this kind is the same. Nor is there a timeline or list of specific grief milestones you need to reach before you make any decisions about your future without the person you love so much by your side. For Marie, she says some may also go into their next relationship with some major fears on board. I think the biggest one is there is a lot of fear that's in their head. The what if and how could I and what if this person dies on me again? That is a very confronting question, but I just want to put it out there because it is a very valid and reasonable fear because you have experienced it. The answer to that would be to find the person where 
you just feel supported throughout that process. If that is the right person for you, he will come with all the patience and love in the world to hold space for you to get to that level of trust again and to allow that in. It is really important to be open with your partner about that, to talk to him or her about this new fear that is here in your life and when it comes up and to have open communication is so important in every relationship but even more so when you have been widowed before and this was your reality you've lived through that and city says for her remembering who she was as an individual was the thing that got her to the place she is today give yourself time to be yourself that has been the biggest thing for me and like I was challenged a lot, you know, a lot of family members, a lot of friends just didn't didn't understand why I needed to do it. And, you know, they felt like I was running away and it was the best thing for me. You have to listen to yourself and you have to give yourself grace to make mistakes as well. There's so much judgment when it comes to how, how do you grieve and how do you move on and when is the right time and you're going to make mistakes. And it's not necessarily mistakes, you're just going to experience life. And it's okay to experience life and it is okay to live the life that you deserve. Absolutely seek help because it's worth it and then put yourself first. And it's okay to be selfish because even if the process of losing the person, if, even if it wasn't lengthy, the grief and the pain is lengthy. They're both hoping telling their story might help someone who's going through the loss of a partner. Or it might help those who have someone in their life who's grieving and not able to reach out yet themselves. If you do want to reach out to someone for help, there are bereavement support groups in every state and territory. A quick Google search will help you find one that suits you. And of course, if you are struggling and you need some immediate help, please call Lifeline 13 11 14. This episode of The Quickie was produced by myself, Claire Murphy, and our executive producer, Siobhan Moran-McFarlane, with audio production by Jacob Brown. And if you'd like to leave us some feedback on the show, we'd really love it. All you've got to do is rate and review us in your favourite podcast app. <laughs>